as I said, we're in a series, and, and we're, this is a series on the book of Esther. We're not um, typically, like we do sometimes, anyhow, walk through the book and look at what each chapter has to say and look at what each um, uh, uh, event is. What, we, what we're doing is we, we kind of almost did a sweeping overview of the book last week. So if you didn't hear it last week, um, I will say iloveourchurch.com where you can get all the messages from like up to a year ago. used to be up to about five years ago. We're switching servers. So if you've gone to the site that looks really squirrely, it's really squirrely. But it still has all the sermons on it. And they're all still on iTunes as well under Journey in Our Church message, something you can search it and look at as, or listen to it as a podcast. Um, anyhow, we kind of zipped over the whole book and looked at some of the, the, the main characters and the story last week. And what we're going to do for the next couple weeks is we'll dive back into a few of those things. But for the purpose of what is that for us? Big deal. It's a great story. Esther's a hero to her nation, but what is, what is that for us? How does that help us today and tomorrow? So that's what we're going to do, and it's been a great help to me, and I hope it is to you as well. And you don't have to um, look at the news very much, and it really doesn't matter what source you get your news from. It's been, there's been stuff happening in the last couple weeks. It doesn't matter what side of things you fall on, you're probably not happy, Get used to it, okay? Because there's a lot wrong with the world that we live in. You won't hear my take or comment on that because I am not called to let you know my political opinion. Do I have one? Yes, I I do. But that's not why I'm up here. So it doesn't matter which side of anything that you fell on. We will all agree on the fact that the world is broken, right? There's a lot wrong with the world that we live in. We know that. There are global threats more than just our political stuff. I just, I thank God for TiVo. Because when I'm watching a show and a political ad comes on, boom, skip. I don't have to listen to that garbage. And we look at that and it's like, oh, everything's bad. That's, there are global threats that make that look like nothing. We have big things happening in our world. Hunger. Water shortages. I had a, a, someone from a youth group 25 years ago went and hiked Kilimanjaro to raise money for these villages. They have zero water that's good or clean for them. There's war, there's oppression, there's um, inequality, there's poverty, there's lack of education. There are huge um, global issues and global threats that are not being addressed. Um, many of the things we see are really spiritual issues. We look at things like, um, I'm going to use, I don't use big words here usually. I'm going to use a couple big words. One is pluralism. Pluralism is a huge issue in our country right now. And what that means is many religions are tolerated. But what isn't tolerated is any religion claiming exclusivity. Like, for instance, Christianity. That's what's not tolerated. We live in a, in a society where another spiritual problem is secularism. And you see it all through the news. That's when we as a society begin to relegate anything that's vaguely religious or religious thought to some dark corner. You're free to do that in your little building, but you're not free to do that out in public. That's secularism. There's hedonism, which is a huge issue. That's when an extreme, like, self-serving attitude permeates humanity, and we live to consume whatever we want, whenever we want, without limit. 
And that's, that's the society that we're living in today. So let me ask you this. What if you could just fix it all? I mean, the news would get more boring. Actually, it would probably be good news for once. But what if you could just fix it all? There is a plan for that. And I want to share that with you today. The solution to the world problems is in this box. Go ahead and put the next slide up. Duct tape. The handyman's secret weapon. And WD-40. This is a flow chart that will help fix our world. Does it move? Yes. Should it? Yes. No problem. Should it move? No. Duct tape. Does it move? No. Should it move? No. No problem. Should it move? Yes. WD-40. It will solve all the problems. I'm not admitting to anything, but I have two vehicles. One of them is 317,000 miles now, and the other is 296, and they may or may not both have significant things (laughs) held together with duct tape. And you can laugh, but it's got 317,000 miles on it, all right? We all know that duct tape and WD-40 are not going to solve all the world's problems. They're not going to fix all the current issues. You can take that off. Everybody's just going to stare at that for a while now. Here's what what you need to understand. The book of Esther, it's set in a world just like ours. Yes, it's 2,500 years ago. But their problems are the same as our problems. Our problems aren't new. They're actually very old. Persia was ruled by an iron fist by this, this dictator who is very prideful and very out of control. The wealthy few were extremely wealthy, and almost everybody else lived in extreme poverty. That sounds like most of the world today. Women were denigrated hugely. Children were unvalued in that society, and brutality was commonplace. Now, we don't have all of that here in America yet, but it is scattered all over the world. And the things we're putting in place will bring that here because all we have to do is look at history. This book of Esther opens with King Xerxes hosting a, a, he calls it a banquet. It's a six-month drunken brawl. And the purpose is to celebrate himself, (laughs) because he's king. Here's how it starts. First, um, Esther 1, starting in verse 3. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. He invited all the military officers of Persia and Media, as well as the princes and nobles of the provinces. The celebration lasted 180 days. A tremendous display of the opulent wealth of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. So 180-day celebration to celebrate himself. And at the end of this celebration, they've been drinking for six months now, okay? He asks for his, his main wife, remember we talked about that last week, Queen Vashti, to come and entertain the men with her beauty. So all of the officials, they've all been in this drunken brawl for six months, and he wants her to come in and entertain them with her beauty. <laughs> and wisely, it's like, yeah, that ain't going to happen. She refuses. 
And what we know about Xerxes from history is um, one of the things he's known for is flying into these fits of rage when things don't go his way and doing things. And so he goes into this fit of rage and after consulting with his nobles, you know, the people who they know what's going on and they give him the advice, he sends a letter to the entire kingdom with the news that Vashti is no longer queen. She's now vanished from uh, his presence forever. And here's what it says in verse 22. Um, and I'm going to explain this because some of you are going to chuckle. Some of you, it's going to really tick off, okay? Here's his decree in every language so everybody could understand it. That every man should be the ruler in his own home and should say whatever he pleases. Men, zip it. <laughs> you might say amen to be funny and you will pay for it. Just don't go there. I want to I just read a couple verses here because it, it kind of sets that up and explains it a little bit to where the society had, had, had gone to. After the queen refused this, Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also every noble and citizen throughout your empire. And here's, just, I'll just read it. Women everywhere will begin to despise their husbands when they learn that Queen Vashti has refused to appear before the king. Before this day is out, the wives of all the king's nobles throughout Persia and Median will hear what the queen did and will start treating their husbands the same way. There will be no end to their contempt and anger. So what they're saying is, queen didn't listen to you, and everybody's going to see that pretty soon. Our wives aren't going to listen to us. And because of that, they did this edict throughout the whole thing that um, from this day forward, every man is the ruler in his own home and should say whatever he pleases. I just want to go back like 24 hours after that edict and say, so how's that working for you? (laughs) Because, of course, if you make a law, it's all going to work, right? No, it didn't. But that gives you a little bit of an idea of the world that Esther lived in and, and, and what they were like. She was essentially, Esther, if you remember, is essentially a victim of human trafficking as a Jew. Um, when the Babylonians were in charge, Nebuchadnezzar, they, they, they defeated Israel and they hauled most of them up to, it was Babylonia at that time, and now it's the Medes and the Persians with, with Xerxes. But she's essentially been, been transported up there with her whole group against her will. Xerxes, the, the leader, can do pretty much whatever he wants, and he asserted this kind of domineering patriarchy as the rule of law. At least he put it in place as a law, and you can see that that probably didn't end well. Then you add to this the brutality of Haman's plan to annihilate the Jewish people in a sweeping act of genocide that we talked about last week. And from Esther, one of the things we learn is what to do when the world is broken, when your world is broken. What do you do when the big moment comes? The moment where we have to choose God's purposes over our comfort. Because that's the choice they came to. At first, Esther was unwilling. Remember, we talked about that. We find out that Esther had been um, hiding her identity. Mordecai had asked her to hide her identity in verse 20 of chapter 2. It says, Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. She was still following Mordecai's directions just as she did when she lived in his home. And then when Mordecai first pled with her to, uh, to speak to the king, to spare the lives of the Jews, she responded, it says, with trepidation. 
and we, we, we get this picture. She's in the palace. She's not being touched by a lot of these things that are going on out there, and she's not really sure. And in Esther 4.11, we read, All the king's officials... Here's what she said. Here's, this was her response. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his golden scepter. And when I read that, it's like, even that, I want to say, really? You got to hold out your golden scepter. And then somebody who came at the queen, even the queen, comes in uninvited. If he doesn't hold that out, they haul her away and execute her. Or do whatever the king says to do to her. And she says, and the king has not called for me to come for him for 30 days. So it's been 30 days he hasn't called her. If she comes in there and he doesn't raise a scepter, she's going to die. So you see where we stand here. At first, she's unwilling, but she eventually comes around. In verse 14 of chapter 4, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace... You will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this. Remember what the time was. Remember what her world was like. Remember what the circumstances were. This was her moment in this world. Not only was the world broken, her world was going to be broken. He says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. And he's asking each of you the same question in your world, in what's happening to you and around you and in your sphere of influence. Who knows if perhaps you were put in that position for just such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa, that's where the the palace was, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. And she knows what that means. I go in, he holds his scepter up, I'm good. He doesn't, I die. And she says, if I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. She's coming around here. Mordecai is too. And they're seeing that that there's a bigger picture here and that God is in charge. And from this exchange, as Mordecai and Esther show, yep, their faith is starting to grow, we learn some big lessons about what to do when the world is broken. So what can you do when the world is broken? What can you do when your world is broken? Here's the first thing that I learned from this story. Decide to be part of the solution. Decide to be part of the solution. Now, what that means is, um, what it doesn't mean is you can't solve all the problems, but you can be part of the solution to one of the problems or to maybe some of the problems. You can be part of the solution. See, what we have an abundance of is analysts and commentators to point out the problems, but very few who are willing to do the actual work of solving problems. Everybody wants to point fingers and say, here's what the problem is, and lay the blame. But nobody's actually getting to work to fix it. You can be one of those. You can decide to be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. So what do you do when the world is broken, when your world is broken? You first decide to be part of the solution. The second thing you can do is work for good from where you are. 
you might not be queen. You might not be in the position you think can make all the difference and changes. Here's the point. Wherever you are, work for good. Wherever God has placed you, he might have placed you there for such a time as this. I I, I was teasing Sharon Miller this morning. I said, I'm going to use a quote from Sharon Miller today. And she says, oh, no, what did I say? It's a different Sharon Miller. Um, Sharon Hadi Miller. Um, You can go ahead and put it up there. This is just a a, a clip from, from Twitter. It says, Esther's first response to Mordecai was, I have not been called, remember? She said, oh, I haven't been called in 30 days. And, and, uh, and here's the response. Your position, your privilege is your calling. Did you catch that? You might be saying the same thing as Esther. I have not been called. Your position, your privilege, wherever you're at, whatever situation you're in, is your calling. God has placed you there. What has he placed you there to do? You have been called to do something. I don't know what it is. You might. You might not yet. You might start, need to start doing the fasting and praying and say, God, this is a bad place I'm in. The world is broken. What can I do? And he says, well, you can decide to be part of the solution and you can work for good from wherever you are because maybe the point is not to get you out of it. It's to work in it. And not only will that change the situation and possibly change the bigger picture, but it will certainly change you. So whatever you have in terms of power and position or prosperity or prestige, whatever you have, that is at your disposal for good or for evil. Decide to use it for good. Decide to use what he's given you for good. Why? Because we say this all the time around here. Found people, find people. Found people, find people. Redeemed people, bring redemption to people. Healed people, help heal people. One at a time. We are all stewards of the grace and mercy and forgiveness that God has lavished on us. And you might not think that your sphere of influence is huge. It doesn't have to be. It's where you're at and it's what God has called you to do. So decide to be part of the solution. Work for good from where you are. And here's the third thing. Speak with boldness for God's purposes. Speak with boldness for God's purposes. If you're just up there shouting your opinion, guess what? Nobody cares. I saw something, as I, as I, I told you, I, I have to do it, and I don't want to do it. I don't like to do it, but at this point, I feel like I have to do it. Um, I, I spend three to five minutes on Facebook. It's all I can stand. But I read something that was funny. Somebody said something, hey, I know, we, none of us knows how long we have to live, and life is short. Why don't we spend it on the Internet arguing with strangers over politics? <laughs> <laughs> As if that has ever changed anybody's mind or made a difference in the world, you know? It's not about you. It's not about your opinion on any of those things. It's about the purposes of God. You've probably heard me say this once or twice around here. It's not about you. It's not about you. So what we know is it is all about God. It's about His purposes, 
So you might not understand the situation you're in, the world you're in. You might not understand how you can make a difference. Just just do what Esther and Mordecai did. Decide to be part of the solution. Work for good from where you are. And when you see people around you that are hurting or oppressed, speak up. Do something. Decide to do good and speak with boldness for God's purposes. It will probably go against the tide. It will probably go against the opinion of those around you. But when the dust settles, which matters more, that you please somebody who really doesn't matter or that you please the God of the universe and did, and did something that furthered his purposes in your circle? So speak with boldness for God's purposes. And here's the fourth thing. It's a little tougher, but this is what they both did. Put it all on the line for what you believe in. All in. Put it all on the line. I think for me as I read this story, you know, I love the line that maybe you were placed here for such a time as this, but I think maybe the most powerful thing that Esther said for me was, if I must die, I must die. She saw there was something bigger than herself, something bigger than the things around her, something bigger than her safety and her security and her position and her money and her prestige. There was something bigger than that. And it was God's purposes. And she said, if I must die, I must die. So I'm guessing most of you in here are not queen of the most powerful nation or empire on earth. I'm guessing that. If you are, I'd like to talk to you afterwards. But you are in a setting very unique and particular to you. And it might be, like the rest of the world, broken. What are you going to do in that setting? And more importantly, what are you holding on to and not doing? What has become more important to you? You say, well, my life is pretty important. Yeah, my life's important too, but it's not as important as God's purposes. Luke 9.24, Jesus says this, a little harsh. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. He's not asking everybody to be a martyr. Is he asking some? Yeah. What he's asking is, what's the most important thing to you? For me, I would say with Paul, for me to live is Christ. Top. That's number one. What that means is, his purposes are more important than anything that I'm going through, than anything I possess, than anything, than anything. And you say, yeah, but I'm really kind of scared to lose my life. It's, kind of, it's like many things in life. It's like happiness. It's like anything. If you try to hang on to it, you lose it. But when you give it up for Jesus' sake, then you get what you can never lose. So what we do is we give all of our availability, all of our energy, all of our passion, all of our resources to what you believe in. Never give first-class allegiance to a second-class cause. It has to be a first-class cause if you're going to give everything for it. And so you give all that up for what you believe in, especially when those causes, when that thing that you're passionate about is connected to eternity. 
and not just something temporal here. You might spend your whole life on some little thing, and when you go and die, it goes and dies. And what good, what good was that? Spend your life on something that lasts for eternity, where securing a brighter destiny for people matters through the good news of the gospel of Jesus. You give first-class allegiance to a first-class cause. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're one of those ones who have done what it says in John, at the beginning of John, where you not only believed, but you received. You received him and you got the right, the privilege, the power, the authority to become a child of God. You've stepped across that line already. And as I say that, um, uh, Rosie was telling me that she does this, the, one of the studies um, at uh, Meadow Creek, and one of the ladies was crying, and, and, and she said, I stepped across the line. And I hear those stories every week. And, and what I see is then I see the proof, the fruit. I see life change. I see families changing. I see things changing for the good. And so if you've already stepped across that line, it's time to do what they did. Decide to be part of the solution. Wherever you're at, work for good. Speak with boldness for God's purposes and put it all on the line for what you believe in. But maybe if, if this world or your world is, is broken and it is getting the best of you, because you've never connected to the God who is overall and has an amazing purpose for your life, then I would say that you are here right now for such a time as this. And that voice whispering in your head, that's why I brought you here today, is the voice of God saying, it's as simple as saying, I not only believe, I receive. You say, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense right this second. You, by faith, step across the line. If you understood it all, guess what it wouldn't need? Faith. And the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you've never stepped across that line, today's your day. In simple faith, right where you sit, in the quietness of your own heart, you can say, Jesus, I need that. I don't understand it all, but I believe that you came and you died for me. And that the, the wages of sin is death. I don't have to pay that because you already did if I accept you. And I accept you. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads as we pray. Father, I know there's many people in this room that have already turned their life over to you. They've already stepped across that line. And my prayer is that they would realize that wherever they're at, whatever situation they're in, that maybe, just maybe that they are there for such a time as this. And that by following the pattern that we see in Esther, they might not change the whole world, but they might change the whole world for someone. And Father, for any here, any listening to this now who have never experienced that, they've never come into that relationship with you, that it's been about rules and religion and regulations and it's about an, an impossible attempt to please you by doing the right thing. That today it would be about turning their life over to you and having a relationship with you. Through your son, Jesus. Knowing that your plan and purpose for us is for us to live lives that would shine for you. To do what's right. 
but knowing that that's, that's with your help and your power now. That in simple faith, anyone who's never come into that relationship would just say in the quietness of their heart, Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that my sin has separated me from you. And I believe that because of what Christ did on the cross, I can ask for forgiveness for my sins and know that all of my sins are forgiven. That I can have meaning and purpose in life today and a living hope for the future. Father, thank you for what you're doing here in us and through us. We love you. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song. As much as I like the handyman's secret weapon, duct tape and WD-40 will not put this broken world back together or get it unstuck. But you can help. And if it's your world that's broken or stuck, Jesus came to give you abundant life. And never forget, we're better together. Remember, I'm pulling for you. We're all in this together. Let's pray. Thank you for my red-green fans laughing there. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your amazing love for us. We know that, that we love because you first loved us, that you demonstrated that love. You loved us so much that you sent your one and only son into this world not to condemn the world, but that so that the world could be saved through him. Father, for each person listening to this that's already stepped across that line from unbelief to belief, I pray that we would be able to, now that we've stepped across the line, step up. In the world that we're in, in our sphere of influence, that we would step up. And Father, for those who have not yet stepped across that line, or maybe they just did today, Father, My prayer is that they would, by grace, through faith, realize that incredible salvation that comes through Jesus. We love you, and it's in your your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.